0: times before, but would they be new and fresh? Would you open our ears, open our hearts, speak to us, speak through Jefferson this morning. Give us a picture of the people that you want us to be. Remind us of the story that you call us into. Amen. You can have your seat. Together. Um, so we are praying through the Psalms, and I'm glad about that. I'm actually really happy. I feel like this has been such a uh, wonderful experience for myself, and I hope it's going to be a wonderful experience for you, and I believe it's going to be a wonderful. It's going to grow us. Um, but before we begin, we're going to do just that. We're going to pray. So last week, if you were here, you'll know that we began with just a two minute time or a few minutes of just being able to sit down and meditate and pray through this week's passage. And so you'll find around you these little pieces of paper. They should look like this. I spent about an hour folding them, so I hope you use them. Um, And on the inside, you're going to find this week's psalm. And we're going to read the psalm aloud together. I have a couple of people I've asked to come do that. But what I want for you is to begin our service this morning, spend a couple of minutes, (whistles) pray through this psalm, meditate through this psalm think on this psalm, dwell on this psalm, let it shape you, let it come into you, let it dwell in you, um, and so let prepare us for what we're going to do this morning, what we're going to talk about, and how we're going to be. Um, so at this time, I'm going to invite my, my youth guests to come onto the front. They're going to read for you uh, today's passage, and then we're going to spend a couple of moments, or a couple, two, a couple, two minutes in prayer afterwards. You have yours already? You have yours You guys are so good. Transgression speaks to the wicked, deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes, that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He is seized to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God, your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen, they are thrust down, unable to rise. Perfect. Thank you. You guys can grab a seat. And then I'm going to invite you to spend the next couple of minutes just thinking through that passage. Write down your thoughts. Think on your thoughts. Let that thought eat at you. And then we'll come back together in just a couple of minutes. May the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Again. <laughs> um, so as you know, and as we just participated in, we're praying through the Psalms. And I use that word intentionally because that's what our hope is, is that we can spend some time letting the Psalms dwell in our hearts, collecting the Psalms within um, and this is actually relatively a new thing for me. Like I went, so in case you don't know me, I am Jefferson, and I am the youth director here. And when I went to school, I went to Tyndale, and I studied theology. And our goal in that was that I would become or that they would prepare scholars to know Scripture more. And so they would have us be able to use historical, historical criticism to uh, dissect these passages. Asking questions like, what, who was it written to? What was it written for? And what school of thought was this written in? And uh, on and on it would go. We would ask these questions. Well, how do we know more about the psalm? I was taught how to teach it. But my hope for us this morning is that we are going to pray through this. And Jason Biasi is uh, reading the Psalms of the Augustine he has a quote which I really think applies to where we are today. He says this, the Augustinian approach to exegesis did not assume that the primary purpose of reading scripture was to acquire new information that was previously unknown. Rather, it was to relearn what was already known in a new way. So these past few weeks have been somewhat of a humbling process for me. I've tried to step out into new, terry, new territory and allow a new method of working through Scripture to, into my heart, allowing a new form of God's spoken word into my life. Uh, I, I remember in my office, instead of having a commentary in front of me, I had a journal. And like, that is something I'm also not terribly you know, exercised in, but I had a journal, and I just wrote down my thoughts what I was thinking about, how how does this psalm affect me? How does it affect others? Like, what's going on here? I I really began to feel like it was, like, tied to my wrist like a helium balloon. Like, I just, I remember I'd go home, and I'd be sitting in my car in traffic, and I'd just be thinking to myself, like, what does this mean? I would take my dog into my backyard, and I'd see him go crazy. He'd just run around all over the place. And I'd think to myself, while he's running around, I'm like, the ways of the wicked. No, but I'd be thinking, like, (laughs) how does this affect my life? How does this affect me? And I began to feel known by this passage. And so my hope is this morning is that we can work through that and that you might feel known together. I mean, we'll talk about this. Uh, but one piece of head knowledge I want to share with you before we begin is this. I know that I'm talking about, you know, we're letting this penetrate us in our heart. We're letting this deep into our soul. But there is one piece of head knowledge I want to share with you before we begin because it was, a, it was pretty valuable to me as I worked through. And that's this. The Psalms, the book of Psalms that we're working through are songs. And that's sort of a, you know, the book of Psalms, they're songs. They would have been sung by tightly knit faith communities coming together to sing of the attributes of God. And so when I think of the Psalms, I think of a community living by that rhythm. Many of us will know that the Torah, which is just the first five books of the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy, would have been memorized by young Jewish boys. This would have been part of their historical, uh, cultural, and religious upbringing, that they would have had to have the the laws of God firmly implanted in their heads. But the Psalms were sung. The Psalms were in the heart. And so I imagine, I think, when I think about that, I think about like a community, like I think of kids running down by the way to the rhythms of God's grace. I think of grandmothers and grandfathers mumbling to the wisdom of our Lord. The Psalms were a part of what sat in their hearts I imagine a community singing of God's attributes throughout their lives. So, as we begin to walk through the Psalm for us today, my hope for all of us is that this would be something that would penetrate us, that would get into our hearts on an individual level. That as you go by the way, that you would dwell on the Psalms. But as we gather as one community with many parts, we would be. Singing to the praises of our Lord, living our lives by the rhythms of His goodness to us. That's my hope. That's my hope for us this morning. So, why don't we just begin? The psalm opens up The ways of the wicked. Transgressions speak to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes. That his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. That the words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and to do good. He plots trouble while on his bed he sets himself in ways that are not good. He does not reject evil. And the question that immediately came shooting to my mind was, who is this person? What is, the, what is this? Who is this? And what, how does this affect me? It's sort of what I'm thinking about. Who is this? What is this? And how does it affect me? And I think that for me, my list of candidates kept on spinning. If you were here last week, you would have known that Craig talked about how a lot of the times when we engage with the enemy or the wicked in the Psalms, we think about, we can see ourselves in that. You know, why am I making enemies? Why am I making, making uh, monsters out of others? Maybe it's because of this wickedness that's stirring up within, my, within, within myself. And so I began to think, you know, on a personal level, this does affect me. This is me. But I'm not the only wicked guy in the world. There are other wicked people, for sure. And so I started to think, like, who could this person be? Could I put greedy corporate CEOs in there? Could I put um, maybe Satan? Could I just put Satan in there? Like, you know, he is this wicked person. And then I began to feel a lot of anxiety turning up inside of myself because I thought, what am I going to say to force you Sunday morning? You know, welcome, everyone. Welcome to you, I'm glad you're here. I was supposed to teach you on this psalm. I don't really know what it means. Let's go watch soccer. But, <laughs> but then I believe God spoke to me. So take that for what it is, but I'll tell you the story. So for those of you who don't know, it was camp this past week, and there were children everywhere. Children were in the san- sanctuary, children. Warehouse, children. Youth room, children. Upstairs, children. Sunday school room, so I went into rooms, I found children hiding from other children. <laughs> that never happened. But there's a lot of kids here. And uh, one of the days, and this was Tuesday or uh, Wednesday, I was sitting in my office, And if you know the upstairs of Forest Field, you know that sort of the big area that all the offices and Sunday school rooms are attached to is sort of like a big general lobby-ish kind of place. And it became the natural place that a lot of students would sort of hang out in while they were waiting for the next activity. So I'm in my office and my door is open and I hear a bunch of kids come upstairs into the lobby area and they're waiting for their next activity to begin. And so I'm sort of, like, listening to this conversation and to these kids and stuff. And as they're waiting, they decide, you know, we should do something to pass the time. You know, we've got some time to burn. What, what do we do? So they think to themselves, or a couple leaders get together and say, like, we should play Wink Murderer, Wink Murderer. And if you don't know this game, the way it works is that uh, students will stand in a circle, or it doesn't have to be students, it can be anyone, stand in a circle, and their eyes are closed, and someone is selected to be the Wink Murderer. And that person, their job during the game is to wink at people. And when you get winked at, you have to die. And so that's how the game works. And then there's someone in the middle who's been categorized as like the sheriff. They have to find this wink murderer. And a lot of the times you play, you know, less, less intense versions. You can play wink fainter, you know, to make it more PG. But for the sake of the story, it was wink murderer. And so we're playing wink murderer. And as soon as the leaders tell the students, you know, we're going to play wink murderer, I hear... The voice of a girl, she must have been, she was super small and young and innocent. And she yells at the top of her lungs, I want to be the killer! <laughs> uh, I spent so much of my time this week looking at this passage, thinking to myself, who is this person? I think I began to lose image of the bigger picture. This wickedness, this character that's written for us, it finds itself in everyone, even the most innocent. Now, did what she do was wrong? Of course not. We all want to be the murderer. But (laughs) we all participate in this wicked image that is painted for us. I don't think any of us fully escape from it. I don't. I think that we all, as I looked at this, I'm like, this this has been me. This here, this has been me. I've, I've, I've done these things, like, not, not even just, like, figuratively. Like, literally, I've laid in my bed, but, like, what bad things can I do? And, like, I think, like, it penetrates us on a personal level. But I began to think, well, this hits us in every community. So much of the time, we are all faced with wickedness, both from within and from the other. And so this passage begins with the ways of the wicked, which is depressing, But it moves on. But your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save both. So what is this psalm saying? Personally, this is what I resonate with. I imagine... (laughs) people gathering together into these faith communities to sing of the attributes of God and being led by the temple priests saying, these are the ways of the wicked. They entertain sinful thoughts. They perceive their agendas as the most important agendas. They will do anything to accomplish it. They don't heed the warnings of God. And instead the they think, how might they get their way? They live in this corrosiveness nature that exists in every heart, behind every stone, and within every community, including ours. These are the ways of the wicked, but these are the ways of God full of steadfast love, abounding in dependable faithfulness. His perfections are firm and strong and his decisions are made in the great deep. Be like this. Be like this. These are out there. This exists. It exists in you. It exists in me. It exists in this community, Forest View, Church Without Walls. It exists here. Be like this. Abound in love. Be faithful. Reflect God's perfections and make your decisions out of the great wisdom of our Lord. And this wouldn't have been the first time that Israelites would have been told, hey, be like God. We're told in Leviticus, uh, Moses is speaking to God and God says to him, speak to all of the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for the Lord your God, I am holy. So as I began to read this passage, as I began to work through it, I began to see a line getting drawn. The ways of the wicked and the ways of good. And so I imagined a congregation of ancient Israelites getting together to sing of the goodness of our Lord, to remind themselves that the ways of the wicked are deep and infectious and evil and present, but the ways of our God, we remind ourselves of them. Because why? Because your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Yeah. (laughs) We all know that song, right? By third day. Um, I see the Psalms calling a faith community to resist the ways of the wicked and to embrace the ways of God. I see the Psalms calling every believer, every one of us, to, as you go by the way, to think of the abounding love of God. As you rise in the morning to think of the faithfulness of God. As you are brewing your coffees. Think about how dependable the Lord is. How much his love invests in us. I see the perfections of God and the wisdom of God all being called out. And so I began to wonder to myself as I was going through this passage. I began to think, when I am faced with wickedness both from beyond myself and from within, am I facing it with love, faithfulness, righteousness, and justice, or am I stirring up more wickedness in myself? And I know that's something I'm guilty of. I know when people come, and, they, and I feel pushed, and when I feel shoved, and when I feel ignored, and when I feel, when I feel like I am being pushed in, I know I begin to turn, I am guilty of turning up wickedness in myself. They only think those things because they're, they are not good. They are imperfect. They are the wicked. And I begin to turn up this wickedness within myself. The psalm reminds me a lot of the book of Jonah. Many of us have seen the VeggieTales story of it. It's a great story and you should all watch it. But for those of us who are not familiar with the story, it goes something like this. God calls a prophet named Jonah to speak the words of God's judgment and warning to Nineveh. Now, we all know that Nineveh is not a holy place. We all know that they slander the ways of God. They look disfavorably against the Lord. They turn up all sorts of wickedness in them. So what do we see out of Jonah, out of this request from God? What do we see? He looks down his nose at them. He flaunts his righteousness of himself. Now, and a lot of the time, uh, when we encounter prophets in the Old Testament, they actually had a pretty tough life. And if you read the, the Old Testament, you'll know that there's a lot of things within them that were not great. They were hated by people. But this man, Jonah, was, was, would have been seen in a favorable light. He is righteous and delivers good news to those who forever seek him, just like we were talking about. But I begin, and so, he, you know, the story goes, and many of you will know this, he goes away from Nineveh. He leaves Nineveh. In fact, he goes in the opposite direction. And when he's going this way, you get this beautiful story of this whale or big fish, whatever you want to read there. And it eats up Jonah, and it takes him to the shores of Nineveh. And he says, speak my words to these people. And so he does. He does. And we think, well, this is a great ending. But it doesn't end there. After Nineveh is given the warning by Jonah, after they're given this message, they they think to themselves they think to themselves, he's right. He is right. We aren't listening to the ways of, of God. And so they turn, they repent, and they begin to listen, and we all live happily ever after. No. Jonah waits for their condemnation. He, he's, he sits, and he, and he looks, and he hopes. He hopes for their condemnation. And I remember I read that, or when I first saw the movie, I thought to myself, "Oh, this is like really interesting. That's odd." And then it ends, and then they sing the song, the Jonah being a prophet. But what happened for me is, I, as I began to think about it, I was like, "How many times have I been Jonah?" How many times have I been in, been, I've been confronted with wickedness, I have been faced with wickedness, and instead of responding and hoping for their love, hoping for compassion, love, faithfulness, joy, and all the more, the, how many times have I thought to myself, "I hope that you are judged harshly." How many times have I reflected Jonah? And so I entitled this message The Prodigal Psalm or A Prodigal Psalm uh, for two reasons. One, because every moment of confession that we come to with our sins is an invitation into a prodigal moment. We are given the opportunity to swallow pride and our sinfulness and present it to God and ask for forgiveness. And two, And two, because every time that we're confronted with wickedness by others, we have the opportunity to provide them with a prodigal moment. We can give them the opportunity to, to, they spill their evil and they are confronted with righteousness, with love, with compassion, with the goodness of God. How many times have you won a fight against wickedness with more wickedness? I remember the first time I heard someone pray about forgiveness in a, in a, in a, in a meaningful way, and, it, and it's always stayed within my heart. He, it was an older brother of a family friend, and he was sort of we were all in a circle, and it was a bunch of boys, and he was praying, and he said, "You know, you know Heavenly Father, please forgive us for our sins. Please forgive us for what we've done, but Lord, please forgive us even of the sins that we don't even know that we've committed." And imagine. Imagine what that would look like if we walked in this humility because we know that we're guilty. We know that we're guilty. Imagine if we walked in a way when we're confronted with Nineveh, when we're confronted with the very uh, gates of hell that we, we respond with the love, the faithfulness, the righteousness, and the justice of God. How would that look? Imagine if we were all walking in a way where our steps were oozing with humility. And what I found striking about the prodigal son's story that many of us really value and hold on to and we see as a very important passage that we all love, the only thing that's exalted about the son is his humility. It's not his wisdom. It's not his knowledge. It's not his wisdom about what the ways of God are. It's not his strength. or, or anything. And there are heroes that are, that are sung this way or that are known this way. We're told about Samson, his great strength. We're told about the wisdom of other characters in the Bible. But the only thing of the prodigal son story that we are told of is that, oh, one day he was able to swallow his pride. And being the prodigal son once is hard. Being the prodigal son every time we confess really humbles you. And imagine if we lived in that life where every moment of confession, is this prodigal moment. Every time we're faced with the sin of others, we, we remind ourselves, I know what it's like to stir up evil. I know that. And I will face it with righteousness and perfections and God's gloriousness. And so finally, as we enter into Our final portion of the psalm sings of this beautiful dance that exists between God, the divine, and us as we live this prodigal life. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from your rivers of delight. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hands of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lay fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. And as I was dwelling through this, I just had a couple of thoughts. I said a couple of passages that really spoke out to me. So even as you were looking at this and as you were praying at the beginning of today, maybe there were a couple of things that really stood out to you. And I pray and I hope that you hold on to them and that you sing of God's wisdom in the morning and night. But here were a couple of passages from this last half that really spoke to me that I want to comment on. The first one being, let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of wicked drive me away. And I love this passage because what it's talking about, what we were just talking about. Don't let arrogance come on me and don't let me continue to believe the lie that, you know what, maybe I am Jonah, that I know better and that I can look down upon others down my nose because of their sin that affects me instead of my sin that affects others at different times, at different places, and different contexts. Let me not fool myself into thinking that, yeah, well, I know better. Don't let the foot of arrogance come upon me. And the other one is, in your light do we see light. And I actually preferred this other translation, which is, which is just more obvious. Lord, in your light we see light. And I love this phrase. I love it. Because what I see, when I read it, I see the invitation to see Christ in others. You know, if I, am I called to hope for the best? Am I called to hope for the, for the beauty and the success and the, and, the, and, the, and the livelihood and the flourishing of others? Well, I better hope that I can see Christ in them if I have any hope of having Christ be seen in me. We're called to love, to be faithful, to be righteous, and to be justice to others. That's what we're called to. And so by Jesus' light, I am striving to reflect that same light. So our psalm concludes with this. And uh, the past couple of weeks have been a humbling process for me as I have been trying to live my life by this way. You know, like, what does it mean? What does it mean to live your life by this psalm. And and just as as reading it day in and day out, it began to fall upon me. And my hope, my prayer for you is that you would take these booklets and that they would be sung, that they would be sung in your hearts, That they would not be something that merely sits in your head, ready for you to spit out when Jefferson has a sword drill at youth group, but instead is something that sits in our hearts. That I don't know the passages even exactly, but Lord, I would open up my house to you, to anyone. That is what my hope is for you and that in, as you face your life decisions you would live by the wisdom of God so at forest view communion is done in a way where we gather at these different stations throughout the building throughout this room not the building you're looking for it. um find a kid that was like oh you didn't go home um, <laughs> done in a way Where we gather and we stand and we rise and we come together as one body with many parts and many gifts to take communion together. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I, I mean, what kind of guy would I be if I didn't say that? But what I think is this, is I think it gives us this opportunity to really experience a prodigal moment. And we're not asked, we're not asked to, 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 to enter the, the, the table with perfection. We're asked to approach it knowing that Christ was that perfect one. Knowing that he achieved the table for us. We achieved nothing, but that he achieved it for us. And so can we do that? Forest View Church? Can we swallow the pride of arrogance? Can we not let the foot of arrogance step upon us, Forest View Church? Can we be prodigal children? And can we sing and live our lives to the rhythms of God's goodness? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I am so humbled By your goodness, by your attributes, by your perfections, by your love, your faithfulness, your righteousness, and your justice. And how many times, Lord God, have I spat out this wickedness, and you have turned to me with your love, your faithfulness, your righteousness, your justice. And so, Lord, I plead with you. Would you please let this happen today? Would you let us experience this goodness today? Let us experience your table. Let's experience communion. I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.